0: Thank you. Hello, and welcome aboard the gallant Says Podcast, available on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, now SoundCloud, YouTube, wherever you get your podcasts. Please leave a five-star rating and a nice review, perhaps like this review by Telecaster 03. Paul always has an interesting take on whatever subject he's ranting about. He's insightful, irreverent, and always sarcastic. Give him a listen. Well, thank you, Telecaster, and just to prove how irreverent I am, did you know that on September 17th of 1938, that was when Germany unofficially declared war on Czechoslovakia. I say this because it led to, on September 30th, Neville Chamberlain, then the premier of England, to famously declare after basically saying, Yeah, Germany, you can have the Sudetenland, there will be peace. In our time. Giant pushback Neville Chamberlain. And you know what? England does something a little earlier. France steps in a little bit earlier. Maybe World War II doesn't become as catastrophic as it eventually did. Thanks for that, Neville. Anyway, let's get to the show. I was just kind of curious what Paul gets to see. You are definitely living in the hindsight world today, Paul. Gonna f***ing grow, mother are you kidding me? Paul what the hell is wrong with you? Did you watch Thursday night football? Or did you see the schedule and think to yourself, you know what? It's two NFC East teams. It's Taylor Heineke and Washington football team. It's Daniel Jones and the New York Giants. It's a night for me to do something else. Primetime NFC East football is something that I've always looked at a lot. Like I look at torture, you know, minus the whole actually being physically harmed thing. Because you know that there's a reason the game's on national TV. There's a big audience for every single one of these teams. Whether it's the Dallas Cowboys, of course, or the Giants, or it's Washington football team, or it's the Eagles. NFC East teams, I would say, pound for pound, have the biggest fan bases. And that's why they're always on national TV. But good God, the division sucks of late. It is terrible. And seeing these games constantly in prime time on the schedule. It's a lot like torture, as I said a little bit earlier, and I'm not going to call it boiling. This is funny. In England, actually, it's kind of fucked up. In England, Henry VIII made boiling a legal form of capital punishment. It was used for murderers who used poisons. A large cauldron was filled with water, oil, tar, tallow, Molten lead. The liquid was then boiled. Sometimes the victim would be placed in the cauldron before it was boiled so as to be cooked slowly, Jesus, or they would be placed, usually head first, into the already boiling liquid. Well, that's gonna leave a mark. This was more frequently a way to execute a prisoner. Oh, you don't fucking say. <laughs> rather than extract a confession. Well, what's going to happen? You, you dunk the guy under, or excuse me, you boil him his head first and you bring him out. You think he's going to actually say anything after the word after that? Uh, also dunking another form of torture. I found interesting before we get back into talking about the NFC ECS. Yes, I know I'm delaying the inevitable. Dunking was a form of punishment, mainly reserved for supposed witches. So there is a chair. It's on like a pulley And the chair would be lowered into a pond or a barrel slash vat of water. So the victim would be lowered until completely submerged. And the chair was raised if the victim was about to pass out or if they confessed. (laughs) So this is how you tortured witches. Personally, I would say that tarring and feathering is probably a little bit more similar to watching NFC East football. And again, sarcasm, but uh, For those who have never seen Tarring and feathering in action It sounds kind of funny, I mean you're putting Tar on a guy, and then you're gonna put feathers On him, but I would Watch the HBO television show John Adams, I think it's in the First episode, it's pretty messed Up, anyway NFC East football, Paul Get back to it NFC East football It's ugly. It features teams that don't matter. Yes, big fan bases, but you know, none of them are going to do anything this year. Dak Prescott and the Cowboys have a great offense, but the rest of that division, I'm not sold on Jalen Hurts after one game where he's throwing screen passes and check downs and is throwing to the first thing that he sees and is scrambling for most of the game. I'm not buying into that quite yet. The rest of the season, you know what you're getting, just like what you got in Thursday night action. And luckily there's no more Thursday night games that feature two NFC East teams, at least based off of me looking at this schedule and Monday night football well, uh, it's, it's coming around the corner before the end of the month. Monday, you got the Philadelphia Eagles and the Dallas Cowboys on so the Monday after this coming one. Oh, boy. Well, I guess that's the only other Monday night football game that's going to feature two NFC East teams. That's that's promising, right? Right? Sunday night football? What do we got? Um, You know what? I don't think we have that many NFC East games in primetime. You have week 17 a Washington football team, Dallas Cowboys game, but I think honestly on schedule, this ain't bad. And it kind of bums me out. Yeah. You didn't see that left turn coming. I've come to find, especially after the game that we just watched on Thursday night, where Washington football team wins because After biffing on a field goal at the end of the game, the giants were jumped off sides and they got to kick the field goal again. And there was a bunch of other crap that happened towards the end of the game. It was a mess. It was ugly. It was bad. And yet it was enjoyable. It's a little like watching a Nick cage movie. And there's a lot of bad Nick cage movies out there, right? I don't even recognize any of the Nick cage movies that have come out since like 2011, on his IMDB page Stolen never heard of it The Frozen Ground Joe Rage Outcast, Left Behind, Dying of the Light, The Runner, Pay the Ghost, The Trust, Dog Eat Dog. He was in Snowden for like five minutes. I do remember that. Army of One, Arsenal, Vengeance, A Love Story, Inconceivable, Mom and Dad, The Humanity Bureau, Dark, Mandy, Looking Glass, 211, Between Worlds, A Score to Settle, A Color Out of the Space, Running with the Devil, Kill Chain, Primal, Grand Isle, Jiu Jitsu, Prisoners of the Ghost Land, Willy's Wonderland, and then Pig. Of all those movies, Pig is the only one I've heard. Use your own imagination to imagine the plot for all those movies, but they probably involve Nicolas Cage overacting and driving my friend Brad crazy. I have a friend who can't stand Nicolas Cage and everybody in our friend group, I think, has been pranking him for a good five years and just buying him random Nick Cage items and just opens up a box and he finds them. But the NFC East is, is like Nick Cage. You know that whatever he's in is not good. And yet, you can't look away, and you find yourself enjoying it, but you're pretty sure that you're enjoying it ironically. Eventually, though, when you enjoy anything ironically, you come to find that you like it. I used to use the word bro ironically. Now I say the word bro way, way too much. I used to like Creed ironically. Now I'm I'm back to loving it. Weathered, human clay, masterful albums. Hey, look, it's my cat. I kind of want more NFC East football in primetime. And from the looks of things, we got no more Thursday night games featuring NFC East teams. You have one Monday night football game on the schedule. It's the Eagles and the Cowboys. And then you have one last one. And it's not going to be until week 17. It's Washington football team and the Cowboys. And honestly, it's probably going to be flexed out. I guess the NFL finally heard us. And here I am. I want more. What's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? Maybe I'm just sad. The Seattle Mariners season came to an end in their loss to the Boston Red Sox on Wednesday. 9-4 in 10 innings. It got out of hand quickly. What I can't help but think is that the Mariners bullpen, which has been so good this season, even after trading away Kendall Graveman, had too much put on its plate all year long. And when you are relying on your bullpen to get you out of jam after jam after jam, and the offense isn't helping it out, this is what you're going to get. I didn't have big expectations for the Mariners this year. I have had a lot of fun watching this team, and they're still 10 games above 500. But right now, if you take a look at the wild card standings, the Mariners and Oakland are the teams that are furthest out. It's Toronto, Boston, and New York who are all jockeying within a half game of one another for those two wild card spots. I suppose there could be some cannibalization amongst all of those teams going forward, but take a look at the schedule that Toronto has ahead of them. The Blue Jays have had it very nice of late. They played a bunch of games against the Baltimore Orioles over this stretch where they have been cruising. Guess what? They get the Orioles again, and they got two series against the Minnesota twins before they end the year. They're in pretty good shape. So the blue Jays are going to be there. And then after that, okay, are you going to catch Boston? You blew your chance to catch Boston. You had to take two or three at the very least, if not sweep Boston. Cause who are you making up ground against the only team in the wildcard standings that you're competing with right now? You're jockeying with right now are, are Oakland. Okay, great. You can overtake Oakland. Something that I thought was possible a couple of months ago and something that I think would actually be something you can hang your hat on after this year. I mean, if, if you come in second place in the American league West and you're plus 500, that's, that's a pretty good season, all things considered. But Unfortunately, you just asked too much out of the bullpen this year, and that's why it wasn't that surprising to see it all kind of come collapsing on them. This house with support that's flimsy, and I suppose that's not a great way to describe the Mariner's bullpen, but if your bullpen's your backbone and you don't have an offense and your starting pitching's okay, then where are you going to go? What frustrates me most is that in the game that took place on Tuesday, the Mariners seemed like they got to Nathan Yovaldi, who is the Boston Red Sox starting pitcher. And they got the bases loaded. And they're only able to get two runs out of the whole inning. And they weren't even able to chase Yovaldi out of the game. And Yovaldi pitches another inning. And then the Boston Red Sox bullpen, which is not as good as the Mariners bullpen, did its job both on Tuesday and on Wednesday. And the Mariners have two just dreadful innings. In relief. The last one, I mean, goodness gracious, the 10th the, the inning, that got out of hand really quickly. <laughs> I mean, it was a tie game going into the 10th on Wednesday afternoon. And then on Tuesday, I mean, it's a five-run eighth inning. Five-run eighth inning, six-run 10th inning. But if you don't score in any of the innings before that, and if you continue to see guys like Jared Kelnick at the plate, and, what? okay, he's making better contact with the baseball and all that, but the numbers are the numbers and the guy still hasn't delivered and i mean i can sit back here and and hope that eventually it's going to happen but it just doesn't feel like it's going to happen this year best case scenario hopefully it'll be able to happen next year but i'm starting to have my doubts on that i really do wonder how good of a player he can be it has been frustrating even though he has not been absolutely terrible of late so i think the mariner season's done i suppose that there's still a chance but the schedule left A three-game series on the road against Kansas City. Kansas City was pretty challenging last time you went up against them. No? I mean, you lost three of four to them. Two series against Oakland, great. Two series against the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim, of California, of the United States of America, of North America, formerly of Pangaea, of Planet Earth. Uh, They aren't that good either. I guess you can get a couple of wins against them, but I think the Mariner season is done. But you guys aren't here for my thoughts on the Seattle Mariners. You're not here for my thoughts on the NFC East. You want to hear what I've got to say about the team whose shirt I am wearing right now. This is a long sleeve jersey. Steve Largent of the Seattle Seahawks. They should be 2-0 and after Sunday's game against the Tennessee Titans. It's going to be the first game at Lumen Field with fans in two years, which is fantastic. It's going to be a game against a Tennessee team that is not the same Tennessee team that you saw last year or even close to the team that it was two years ago. I watched their game against the Arizona Cardinals earlier this week, and I was wondering, okay, well, what was it that allowed for a team that, you know, we think to be at the very least competent to just get their asses kicked? By Arizona you can make an argument that they fell asleep at the wheel and that has been something that the Titans have been doing in the Mike Vrabel era they have a game here or there where they just don't look like they're awake but they look like shit one of the calling cards of Tennessee has always been their offensive line and Taylor Lewan is coming off of a pretty serious injury which is getting victimized by Chandler Jones who had five sacks in the game but it wasn't all about Chandler Jones The Cardinals have a pretty good front seven from the looks of things if they're able to do what they did against the Titans offensive line and to hold Derrick Henry in check the way that they did and I think something that Tennessee is going to find out the hard way the rest of this year is what life is like without their former offensive coordinator Arthur Smith who left from Tennessee and now is the head coach of the Atlanta Falcons I mean he looked his team looked like shit, too. <laughs> this past Sunday, I just watched the game between the Eagles and the Falcons. My God, the Falcons could not stop committing penalties, but that's neither here nor there. Back to the Titans. Ryan Tannehill is someone who I have never, ever, ever had a whole lot of respect for as a quarterback. But over the last two seasons, I have to admit, the guy has done a lot to change the way that he's going to be remembered when his career is done. When he was in Miami with Adam Gase, uh, I didn't think much of him and I I can't help but think about this story that came out about how once at practice, he threw an interception to a practice squad guy and then he got all uppity towards him, essentially saying, Oh, you're just, you're just a six stringer. Yeah. Go celebrate it. Like you won the Super Bowl." It's like, okay, Ryan, make the playoffs and do anything of value. So Tannehill is now the quarterback of the Titans. And in this game, I'm starting to see some of the same things that I saw from him before. Arthur Smith and that offense gelled together in a way that gave Tannehill a a weird (laughs) fringe MVP candidate kind of season in 2019. He's sailing passes. He's throwing them high. And it's not like he doesn't have any good passes at all. Whenever he's throwing it to A.J. Brown, he looks good. But didn't we think that Julio Jones was going to unlock this first off level of the Seahawks offense? A lot of you guys were beating the drums so that they would sign Julio Jones and I was sort of like well the guys had some injuries over the last couple of years and there's also concerns about his actual work ethic and he looked awful in that first game I mean the most noteworthy thing that Julio Jones did against the Arizona Cardinals was that he got called for an unnecessary roughness when it would have been third and short for Tennessee so he fucked that up (laughs) And after that, I mean, Mike Vrabel even talked about it after the game. After that, he was invisible. There are a couple of passes thrown his way. He dropped them. You know, you would think that a wide receiver core featuring Julio Jones and A.J. Brown would work, but sometimes these wide receiver cores that look fantastic on paper do not work out on a field. I mean, we've been seeing it, what, in Cleveland for the last couple of years, right, with Odell Beckham Jr.? And Jarvis Landry, Beckham's been injured, but when he's been healthy, like, what what the hell's going on? Why can't Baker Mayfield on that offense make it work? It's got so many weapons. It's got two running backs. It's got a solid offensive line. So, anyway, the, the main point I'm trying to make here is that this Tennessee team sucks. They are not good. They created some pressure on Kyler Murray, who in that Cardinals offense does not seem to be doing more that has been drawn up by Cliff Kingsbury, which is to no surprise, right? No one is surprised that Cliff Kingsbury is not drawing up a more nuanced offense. Kyler Murray is the cat man. He is unbelievably mobile. He can stop on a dime, turn on a dime, evade pressure and make plays on the run. He's got Deandre Hopkins, AJ green had a pulse in this game, but I mean, the Cardinals offense wasn't really doing anything special in this one. I, I, I will give Tennessee, though, a little bit of credit. They, they were they were generating pressure. But Chase Edmonds was, I, I feel, doing a pretty good job running against Tennessee. And, and so was Kyler Murray. So I'm looking at this game. Let's just start with the Tennessee offense side of things. Seattle's pass rush looked really good against Indianapolis. And if they can show even, I don't know, 80% of what they were doing against Indianapolis, they're going to give Ryan Tannehill all sorts of trouble. JJ Watt and Chandler Jones, much better, much better pass rushing tandem. Part of, I, I would imagine at least headline wise, a, a group of Cardinals front seven players that have more cachet than the majority of the Seahawks defensive line. But that is a I think offensive line that's weak Tennessee and they should be able to create pressure on when it comes to Ryan Tannehill and even though they have a I think disastrous matchup potentially in the making with DJ Reed and Trey Flowers going up against AJ Brown and Julio Jones I, I don't know that Tannehill going to have the time to make anything significant happen. The one question I have is whether or not the Seahawks defense is going to be able to tackle because it did feel like the Colts early on in that game before it started to get out of hand and they felt like they needed to throw. It did feel like they were pushing the Seahawks around at the point of attack. And Indianapolis has a good offensive line, at least in my opinion. I don't know what was up in that game. I don't know if it was just Carson Wentz holding the ball a little bit too long like he always does. I thought he was getting it all relatively quickly, but the Colts, I felt like did a pretty good job on the ground. And I think Seattle's going to have to step it up, obviously, against Derrick Henry. You, you know, you can't, you can't half-ass it. The guy's a fucking monster. He's a huge human being. But I, I think Seattle's going to kick their ass. And, and here's the thing, too. I hate Tennessee fans. I hate them. I hate the whole state when it comes to sports fans there. It's one of my more random sports hatreds because I grew up in Boston. I should hate New York teams, right? Or, having worked in Seattle, I should hate the San Francisco 49ers. I do hate the Los Angeles Rams. But no. Uh, most of my sports hate mainly from my time down in Houston is directed towards the state of Tennessee, the Tennessee Titans, and to a lesser extent, the Tennessee volunteers. I'll start with the volunteer side of things in Massachusetts. There's not a lot of great college football. So I grew up because I like their colors rooting for the Florida Gators and they play Tennessee a lot. They always beat them, especially when Peyton Manning was quarterback. Tennessee has not been good since winning the national championship, which was the year after Peyton Manning left. <laughs> they haven't been good. And yet they have a fan base that believes that they're going to be back eventually. And it's like, you guys are a public institution version of Vanderbilt. You're never going to be relevant again. And it's funny. You, you see them get ranked and, and they talk themselves in to the idea that they're going to return to glory. No, you're like Nebraska. You're like so many other schools that were good a long time ago, but it's, it's never coming back unless there's some miraculous year where you win the SEC East, only they get trounced by whoever's in the SEC West. So it's, it's a college football state. You know, it's SEC, SEC. But then all of a sudden, because of Bud Adams not getting a new stadium, the Houston Oilers leave Houston and they go to Tennessee. And that, to me, was bullshit. And to anyone who was in Houston when it happened, obviously it was the same to you. There's a bunch of people that are my age who don't really care about the NFL in the city of Houston, and it's because they lost their football team when they were, what, 7, eight, nine, 10, 11 years old. That's an important time as a sports fan. And they just had it stolen away from them. And it's not just that they had the actual physical team. No, they had the history stolen, too. The Tennessee Titans are the Houston Oilers. Think about that. That's messed up. The Oilers played in Houston. Love you, Blue. This was an entire phase of football in the late 70s and early 80s. You had Bum Phillips as the head coach of the team. He's got a cowboy hat on on the sideline. You got Dan Pastorini, who's dating models as a quarterback. And you got so many good defensive players on that team. Robert Brazil, Dr. Doom, That was an incredible team. And they kept on running into the Pittsburgh Steelers. And now these guys, to get honored, they got to go all the way up to Nashville and like stand at midfield and no one in Nashville has any idea who they are. It's just disrespectful to them more than anything. But it's also disrespectful to the fans. And at some point, because the Titans all of a sudden, much like other teams across the NFL, have been given the green light to where a couple years from now, alternate helmets, you're going to see them wearing Oiler helmets again, which is bullshit. They shouldn't be allowed to wear them. Oiler throwbacks should come back to Houston. They should be given to the Texans, as should all football records that the Tennessee Titans stole away. This, for those who are living in Seattle, this is Houston's Sonics. Houston loved that Oilers team. And in the early 90s, I mean, they were really good. Obviously, they had the big choke job in 1993 against the Buffalo Bills. But that was the team everyone loved. And then they just get removed. Messed up. So I hate the Titans, and I hope the Seahawks run up the score. 50-burger, give it to me. By the way, one time I asked for a 50-burger from the Texans against the Titans, and they gave it to me. It's possible. Get it done. That's going to wrap up this edition of the Gallant Says Podcast. A quickie. It'll get longer with time phrasing <laughs> anyway for everybody who has subscribed who has told a friend who has left a five star rating or a nice little review like Eric JVG Paul Trebuchet lot. I appreciate the insight nice NFL takes a properly entertaining podcast we're going to have to get back to talking about Trebuchets at some point we did talk about torture at the beginning of this program anyway I appreciate every single one of you So long, farewell, have yourselves a wonderful weekend, and hopefully we'll be talking about a a resounding Seahawks victory on Tuesday.